0: Der Fußball ist zurück in der zweiten Liga und läuft dann in den Keeper Freisel rein. Airedale vollendet, 4 zu 0. Beste, Ball kommt in die DBT und zu Kleindienst! Kleindienst! Güter. linke Seite ist blank, vielleicht, ja vielleicht! Vielleicht zieht er in den Salazar, oh! Hello everyone and welcome to another edition of the Spider Bundesliga podcast. It's great to have your company from wherever you are listening to this around the world. I'm your host, Matthew Karagic, and today we'll be looking at all of the action from match day seven. Well, put it this way, you get the price of admission and some, another seven goal thriller, drama in one of the biggest clubs in the league, and upsets. Oh, we love our upsets, and look, it it was a fascinating weekend, and I think if we're looking at the promotion and the relegation battle, it's really hard to separate. I know it's still early doors, and we're only seven match days into the the season, but there is a lot to enjoy about what is happening in the league so far. We'll start with that seven-goal game, Grotefert hosting Calzra at the Sportpark Ronhoff Thomas Sommer. Grodefert wearing their anniversary kit, their 120th anniversary. Uh, was celebrated against the Cullsworth side, who have been a bit up and down early on this season. Uh, two wins, two draws, two defeats. Uh, it, winless since match day one, they were hoping to get on the good graces. And they started really well in this game, uh, opening the scoring just five minutes in. Uh, Tim Limpele was the recipient of the good graces of an excellent set piece from Julian Green. And he made it 1-0. But the lead lasted all but two minutes when Paul Nebel found Robin Bormitt from a set-piece initially given as offside. Potentially, it could have been a foul by Jérôme Gondorf in the in sort of the build-up of the set-piece. Uh, but Bormitt, the recipient of a really good goal. Um, but that 1-1 lasted six minutes. Dixon Abiyama um, finishing off Julian Green's initial effort, which was saved by Patrick Drues. To make it 2-1. Then Marvin Vanecek made it 2-2. Uh, thanks for a wonderful assist from, from Hazer. It looked like it was going to go 2-2 to the break. Um, but <laughs> no. Uh, Lars Stindl finally gets his first goal for Karlsruhe. An excellent assist from Sebastian Jung. And you'd think that would be the end of the scoring in the first half. No, anything but uh, Simon Atzer. Uh, has to finding Abiyama for his second goal of the game. In the sixth minute of added time. It got a lot harder for Furt, who were chasing a much-needed win when Julian Green got his second yellow card in the second half. And despite this, they would take the lead on 64 minutes. Just perplexing defending from Karlsruhe, who, to be frank, were just awful at the defensive aspects of their game. The, cor- the corner coming in from Gieselman. Mikowski's completely untracked. The ball was in dispute in the six-yard area, and Mikowski just pumps it home to make it 4-3. Despite all of the efforts from Karlsruhe to get an equalizing goal, it wasn't enough, and Fiord scored their first win since match day one with a four-three victory. It felt like a bit of the Fiord of what Alexander Tornikar wants them to do. They pressed really well; they made it very difficult for Karlsruhe, Um especially in the first half. But again, like both sides, the the kind of the only thing you could really take from it is both sides have a lot of defensive work that needs to be done, especially with each side's back fours. All goals, the set pieces, ones in particular, are the kinds of goals that a coach would show the team first thing Monday or their first session, video session, because there was nothing to like about what either team did in that particular area. Um, I think also for if we if we talk about the issues, like scoring three goals in most Spider-Bundesliga games will typically be enough to, to secure the three points. Uh, and you'd be happy that Vanitek, Lars are the are the two guys on the score sheet. But they had just real issue. <clears throat> it seemed with the offside trap was one of their biggest problems. You look at the uh, the third goal in particular, Bournemouth, who had a strange game in general. He was at fault for the uh, the second goal. He doesn't really track Abiyama once the ball comes into dispute from the Drevers save. And he tries to, to be the offside trap in the third goal, but he he's just a an in, he's just a second too late. And Abyama's played onside. So yeah, it's kind of a difficult one. You can see Eichner on, on the on the touchline was extraordinarily frustrated with how the game was progressing and just their inability to to really make the most of the dominance because, you know, Furt were down to ten men for a good you know, 40-odd minutes. <clears throat> yeah, 40 minutes within the game. And they made really nothing of it. It was wasteful. It was just, you know, kitchen sink throwing and, and hoping that something would happen. And, you know, credit to Furt, because when the siege came, they, they really stuck to their guns. They defended <laughs> better than they had done for the opening 50-odd minutes. And, look, they they didn't have many chances post going down to 10 men, but what they did fantastically well is when the chance came, uh, they made the most of it, and um, they score a vital win. It puts them in the table at 13th, (laughs) and uh, on the doorstep of Karlsruhe, only goal difference separates them. uh, Fürt have conceded one more goal than Christian Eichner's side, and for Fürt. You know, they've got two games before the uh, international break. It's Elversberg away and Hansa Rostock at home. They'll feel like they're a chance in both of those games. They match up relatively well against Hansa Rostock. Elversberg might be a bit challenging because of the way that they're currently playing. We'll touch on them uh, towards the end of the program. Karlsruhe, they've got Holstein-Kiel. Now, (laughs) this game has the potential to be a shootout. Both sides have massive defensive flaws at the moment. And it wouldn't surprise me if we see a four-four or another four-three between those two sides, and we'll talk about Kiel also uh, later on in the show. Uh, they've also got Magdeburg away from home. Magdeburg playing really good football. Uh, they were much better on the you know they were still very good on the weekend, and then they've got Schalke coming back from the international break. So three very tricky fixtures for Karlsruhe to navigate, and one that, yeah. They, they, they have to work on it. it. It's clear the defense is the thing that's really their Achilles heel at the moment because forward of center, uh, their contest work is really good. They are very good at breaking down. And you have Marvin Manecek, who's unbelievably good uh, at this level and has done so for, for very, very long. Very good at distributing the ball, but is very strong at creating his own chances. And he, sh- and he showed in this game uh, with his goal, his fourth goal of the season. We mentioned Schalke just before. Let's talk about them and the sort of the outbreak of their 3-1 defeats against St. Pauli. This it's kind of a tricky game to talk about because in the first half, the game was kind of a tale of two halves. St. Pauli really good in the early phases. Marcel Hartle getting the goal from the spot. An unfortunate penalty to concede from Lino Templeman, the ball. He's trying to protect his face, so that's that's the kind of feeling that I get from this shot because it was coming with with plenty of heat and interest. Um but you know you just can't. The hands are in a, what you consider a, an unnatural position, um, and was obviously given as a penalty. But they did get the goal back just eight minutes later. Uh, Thomas Ulvian to Sebastian Poulter, brilliant ball. Poulter was actually one of Schalke's better players in this game. Thought he played um, with with really great intensity and 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 was strong at holding the ball up. He at least gave. You know, whether it's Mirkun or Kabadai at least a chance to get forward if he was holding up play. But he did give in particular, you know, Metz and Vol and even Smith a lot more than they could handle. And he had his chances in this game and, and to be honest, he probably could have had two or three. Uh, he had some some fantastic chances but it was pretty wasteful. So when Shaka scored the goal, they have I would say a good 15-20 minute period, you know, end of the half start of the second half, where they were starting to make things happen in the game. They did put St. Pauli on the back foot, but once Hartl scored that goal on 57 minutes, and what a beautiful goal it was to beat Michael Langer. Uh, St. Pauli really were the team in control. Um, even with Thomas Rice's side trying to get a bit forward, they just couldn't find the back of the net. And then uh, a bit of an, a bit of misfortune, book Bukalfa's effort, uh, hitting Thomas Kalash, and the ball going into the back of the net. So St. Pauli Two consecutive wins for them. The pleasing thing for them after being so impotent in front of goal. Eight goals in their final two, their last two games, both being at home. Uh, only two goals conceded. This one to me felt like a better performance from Saint Pauli. Not that they were raffling off goal of the season contenders like last season. They had to really, you know, they really asserted themselves as the team that was going to dictate the way the game was playing. And and Hertzler, just tactically outminded Thomas Rice and we spoke about it last week about how unsustainable you know the intangibles of grit and determination and all that kind of stuff can be and, and this was a great case of it where you know Schalke really didn't enter the fray until midway through the first half and 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 post you know mid early second half they, they didn't really offer a lot and without Poulter um, you know they might not have even had those kinds of opportunities the, the disappointing thing for Schalke here is post-game, Timo Baumgartel has the interview with Sky, makes some pretty strong comments about the way they're playing. He gets suspended yesterday. He's going to train with the under-23s. We'll pay a fine. And the, the, the tragic thing about it is he's right. Like, he's 100% right. This, the way that this team is set up in terms of personnel and and. And the skill set that each of the players has is not tailored to the style of football that Thomas Rice wants them to play. And I think seven games into the season, you know, they're sixteenth, which is unimaginably below expectations. You know, two wins, you know, one of the worst offensive records in the league. The midfield just hasn't really gelled together. I mean, Schallenberg was back in this game and and he was okay. There was nothing really Particularly special about him and Seguin in in midfield, and and same with Templeman. Like it's yeah, the the, the mix is really often. It is clear that there is it's not happy play. It's not a happy place in in the dressing room, and that disharmony from what was a very open and honest interview from Baumgardel, um you know, leads you to believe that the hot seat for Thomas Rice is maybe not as hot as it should be um the fact that they were willing to defend the coach and from you know let's be frank they've, they've been really poor this season they're not as strong as the team two seasons ago in the fight of Bundesliga but there's just they just they're not united they're not a group that has the same sort of connectiveness that they did under Bushkins in those last nine games and Schalke cannot repeat what they did last time they were here. They can't go 25 match days and hope that it'll just work itself out or a club legend will come back and save them and they'll go on this improbable run and gain promotion. Like, it cannot happen. You know, Lightning doesn't often strike twice. And they have to think of this... Like If they have to pay them out, fine, but... They can't just sit on this. This is going to become a problem. I would give it till the international break. And their next two games are... Paderborn away on Friday night and Paderborn can be a tricky fixture and then they play Hertha on, on Sunday afternoon and Hertha have figured to, have started to figure it out like they've got a game style that is working to the players uh, they've got and, and look you, you want that sort of versatility with the squad and this squad's just not that versatile Then they're, they're very they seem very one dimensional and the coaching whatever they're doing on the training ground and, and how they're they're setting up tactically. You know, teams are finding it really easy to to, to break them down through midfield um and, and get into the final third. And we know that the 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 centre back pairing in particular of Baumgardel would it'll probably be Kalash now. And Kaminski is not very quick. And teams that play with sort of play with pace and, and are looking to move the ball within ten. And St. Pauli have three very quick players up top, whether it's uh, and Saad, or, or they had Egerstein again leading the line on Saturday night. You know, Schalke had real difficulty stopping what they were trying to do, and and when you've got the overlapping, you know, m- m- sort of wing backs in, you know, that Saliaka's returning and Ritzka, you know, it, it puts a lot of pressure on the likes of Orville, Jan and Brunner, and if the 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 st- the midfield isn't connected, it creates a lot of problems, and that's kind of where Schalke are at the moment. They are the product of their own issues that they're not willing to fix because they want to play a certain way but this squad is just not capable of playing that style of football so whether they they sort of revert to a more pragmatic approach or they change they've got to change something i mean how long how much longer can you continue to play this style of football it's clearly not working and you know the next two games for me anyway Will be a great test of whether this squad not 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 in relation to promotion, but if this squad actually believes that this coaching staff, in particular Thomas Rice, is the right one for them, because that's what that's the era we're in at the moment. The, the sort of player, you know, you, you got to really you got to be a real players manager, um, and this team just doesn't doesn't seem to gel with Thomas Rice. This this squad makeup just doesn't fit. Uh, so so it's really interesting what. What they're gonna do, um, but make no mistake of it. Saint Pauli were were, were were brilliant. I lot of what they were doing, uh, and it was more of what we we come to see from them uh, last season in the Rookrun under under Herzler. it They're very good. They're a great squad, and I think there's a good reason why people had them as a potential promotion candidate because they've got a very good squad. They're second. Um, you know, they're unbeaten in their last five. Uh, they're one of They are the only team yet to lose this season. And it all starts with having a great defence, which they have. They have Marcel Hartle, who is just incredibly underrated. Like, since he joined from from Armenia Bielefeld, he has been lights out. And he has a manager who's unlocked him even further. And, you know, I I would dare say he's one of the best players in the league comfortably for what he offers offensively. Um, and, and yeah, he's, he's done really well to integrate Metcalf in that midfield mix to make keep that stability. So yeah, uh, they've got Hertha. That's a world feed game. Uh, that's uh, the 8.30 kickoff local time. Uh, check your local listings. Um, probably do a preview on that game later in the week. Now, let's head to our final Group 1 game, which brings us to the Stadion under bremer Brooker It's Osnabrück and Hamburg. Interesting set about this game in particular, was heading into it, Hamburg had lost four consecutive games in all competitions at the Bremer-Brucke. Most infamously, giant killings. They seemed to get done in the cup. So what kind of response would we get from Hamburg considering they were beaten by Elversberg the week before? And, you know, it was not great. It wasn't great here either. They did get the opening goal through Robert Glatzel, and that was all fine, but post that they were, yeah, they were poor. They they were they were unbelievably poor, and they were beaten the same way that um, Elversberg beat them. They, they actually let Hamburg have the ball, and Hamburg really sort of caused their own issues. Um, <coughs> the first goal for, for Osnabrück was actually really well worked. They got a little bit of fortune. Um, when Tesha's ball deflected off, I think Ludovic Rice. But Engelhardt's finish is beautiful. That's a tough angle. Goalkeeper's in a great position. And I think Hoya Fernandez gets a touch on it, but not enough to really disrupt it off the post and in. And uh, that was the 1 1. And the second goal just completely defence shutting off. And, and Omar Diakide, who was in the starting 11 thanks to the Vyman red card last week. Um, we knew how. Sus- I, I think the amazing thing about this game was, as it progressed, Osnabrück were getting stronger, and it was incredible. I, I, I was, it was dumbfounding how bad Hamburg were in this game. I'd argue they were worse in this one than they were against Elversberg, purely from they had an entire half to figure it out, and nothing really worked. And and just the transitional play where. Os, you know, Hamburger pushing forward and, and Osnabrück were weren't content with 2-1. I loved it. It was great that they were really gunning for it. And a player who deserves a lot of plaudits in this game was Mikel Cuisance. His first game, he was a late late loan signing um, from Venezia. He was brilliant. He was probably a bit unlucky not to get a goal. He was burnt from his teammates a little bit. But, look, seven shots to four in the second half... And the system, Hamburg continued system-wise. They they mixed players around, but nothing worked. They were, it was just, yeah, really meek, really underwhelming. And, and look, that's a credit to Osnabrück because if we, if we're talking about one of their biggest weaknesses, it's been defensively, they really struggled. They've come off that 7-0 defeat to Hanover and mentally that's really hard. They stick with largely the same group, you know, Diacite is the is the in. They keep grilling, and as a goalkeeper, it's it's really hard mentally to come back from a game where you've conceded seven. It's not much you can do about it, <laughs> and you know um, from from a mental standpoint. But they they played really well. They they understood the assignment. They let Hamburg play with the ball, and there were triggers for the front three to start pressing, and usually that would get to when they were close to halfway but they were compact. The the midfield three in particular was was not allowing their defence to become vulnerable. And that comes with the the chances created from Hamburg. And they they weren't threatening. Grill was usually in a really good position to either tip it over the crossbar or it would just kind of peter away. There comes a big test now for Hamburg because... This is a setback. We don't want to, like, oversell things in, in how, you know, we're only seven games into the season. But Fortuna Dusseldorf on Friday night becomes an important game for them. Not just from a defensive standpoint. You could tell they're missing Schoenler. So when is out of their lineup, they, they, they look a little bit vulnerable <laughs> defensively. Um... They're going to play a really good sort of side that have started to figure it out. Um, then they've got v before the international break. So that's their third promoted side away from home. <laughs> they might feel vulnerable there. Uh, I think they they match up a lot better against v But, you know, Marcus Kalczynski is a bit of a wizard and he could throw something up. So, yeah, but the numbers, the numbers don't lie. I mean, the XG in particular is is why for me the 2-1 scoreline is very flattering you know Osnabrück were uh xg of 3.76 to uh, to Hamburg 0.85 uh, it just shows how harmless Hamburg were post the opening goal of the game and really you know Osnabrück have something to build on they after you know six very ordinary performances they actually this is something they can build their season on Kaiserslautern then Fortuna Düsseldorf before the international break Two very tough games, but if they can take Solos, that this defensive mix was improved, they limited Hamburg to eight shots in the game. Queissant in that midfield mix, uh, along with Tesha and Ganasa, was strong. Conte was good on the left. Maybe Engelhart is that can be that guy going forward uh, ahead of Quazi Reed. So, congrats to Schweinsteiger. He, he would have been desperate for a first victory. Um, But let's see if they can take advantage of that and make more of it uh, as the season progresses. Let's take our first break. And on the other side, we'll discuss our Group 2 games. And we'll start with the aforementioned Fortuna Dusseldorf when they hosted Hanover. (music) Fortuna Dusseldorf were hoping to make it four wins on the bounce. The league leaders had been in imperious form. And a lot of that had to do with the acquisition of Christos The Greek international has been in fine form, but they take on a Hanover side, coming off that 7-0 win against Osnabrück and were hoping to make it three wins in a row. They knew with victory they could also be in the mix for the top spot, but it was always going to be a bit of an ask. They started really well Hanover, and and this has been sort of the earmark of their away games. They did it against Greta Furt, where they scored early, and then... (coughs) They would rely on their efficiency in the final third to either snatch a second and a third. They did start very well in this game, and they did get the opening goal. And it came from turnover in midfield. Marcel Halstenberg just pushing forward with the ball. Lovely pass to Cedric Toikert, and he did the rest. Toykert with his seventh goal of the season on seven minutes. He is equal top in that category with Hertha Berlin's Harris-Tabakovic. It was actually a really good first in general from from Hanover. They had control. Toyko had a number of chances to make it two. But uh, Florian Kassemeyer made (coughs) some very good saves in the first half to keep the ledger at one. The second half was mainly Dusseldorf. And they had their chances. And they did get a goal on 59 minutes Uh, when Solis was fouled by Yannick Dame, initially deemed as not a penalty from referee Florian Lechner. However, VAR intervention ensured that the foul was correctly given, and Solis would have the penalty. He would score from the spot to make it his fifth goal of the campaign. He's only two behind the league leaders in goals scored. It should have probably been two. For Dusseldorf. They had an abundance of chances. The best probably coming to Jordi Device. He had a rocketing shot that was react with which was wonderfully saved by Ron Roberts. He a great reactions to not only Palmer um, to get it to get a hand to it, onto it, but to palm it out of danger. Ultimately, neither side could find the, the game-winning goal, and the points were shared. Fortuna Dusseldorf is outright top now. With 14 points. They've uh, taken ten points from their from a maximum of twelve uh, in their last four games. Hanover uh, f- three wins from their last five. They're on twelve points and they sit in fifth place. This is actually a great indicator of where Dusseldorf have improved. Uh, Jamiel, Jamiel Siebert coming in for Andre Hoffman. and you know there's always a worry uh, defensively when you bring in a player who who hasn't played. Often for Dusseldorf, he was he was really good in the League last season. Someone that uh, was mentioned we should keep an eye on, and he was impressive. They were both, he was impressive alongside uh, Device, and and you can see why this team foundation wise is built to defend, and they defend really well. Um, five goals conceded for the entirety of the season so far, and after half time, they gave nothing to Hanover. Hanover only had six shots um, for the entirety of the game. Oh, sorry, eight shots, my mistake. But they only had two of those in the second half. They really put the clamps on 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 Hanover. And, you know, they were <coughs> probably a little bit unfortunate. Um, but a lot of that came down to some really good defensive work from from Hanover as well. We talked about it yeah, last week. The defensive three of, of Nieman, Arjen Bey, Halstenberg, and how, you know, them gelling is really going to be the backbone of what Hanover can do because one of the biggest issues last season was defensively, they didn't have the right mix. And you can see that like the, the, just the individual quality that Haustenberg brings, not only from a defensive end, but also on the ball just makes them a lot more competent. They're a lot more interesting. Um, but also the addition of uh, Enzo Leopold in the midfield, we spoke about that with Alexander Kine back on match day two, about the desire to open up the midfield mix and, you can see with him and Fabian Kunze, they're a bit more dynamic. Leopold is allowed to get forward with interest, and it was his intervention that led to the goal, um, the opening goal, where he makes the challenge and Halstenberg picks up the ball and carries. And I think just his his injection of energy into that midfield has, has made them a lot... You know, they've improved a lot, and, and, and you can see in the games where he's started, they've they've been able to pick up... Um, maximum points uh, early and often. Not, not really a whole lot to to, to discuss with this one because you know, Dusseldorf were wasteful. They were a little bit wasteful. Um, I Really like what they did in the second half, but they just didn't make the most of the chances. And we talk about it week to week and 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 season to season about how important chance create you know chance conversion is. Um, and I think that's where probably the disappointment lies for them because they had plenty of chances in this game and they just didn't make the most of them. So, look, it, it's it's a good draw against a good team. I think both sides would be quite happy with the point in particular. Um, more so Hanover. Uh, this is what Hanover does, especially away from home. They 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 like to, to, to sort of, I wouldn't say shut up shop, for example, but certainly in the second half, they didn't really offer a whole lot of Offensive solutions, it was more about staying solid at the back and not really allowing chances for, um, for for Fortuna Dusseldorf, but Dusseldorf had their chances in the second half, they just wasn't, they weren't able to convert them and, you know, ultimately, um, you know, they take a point and they'll be hoping for a better performance, uh, well, more points in particular, when they've got Hamburg on the Friday night. Uh, world feed game, of course. Then they've got Osnabrück um, at home before the break. Hanover uh, at home to Wien-Wiesbaden before travelling to Kaiserslausen um, as the international break approaches. A team that has not been in good goal-scoring form in particular is Hertha. They made the journey north to Kiel, hoping to continue that fortune. Kiel is proven to be a very good offensive team, but... In the defense, it's been a bit up and down, shall we say, more of the same to what we saw last season. One of the worst defensive teams in the league. They know they can score goals, but the defense has proven time and time again that it that in this system, the master rap system, they are very vulnerable, and um, they don't they don't make the most of dominance. They were really good in the first twenty five minutes. I thought uh, they they had kill keel- they sorry they had hurts on the ropes. Um, you know, with Machino, Pickler was very good in this game. I thought Holtby be playing, being able to play further forward like he did against Saint Pauli off the bench last week, it, it works for them. Now it's probably not sustainable. I think he's probably going to be more used as a off the bench player, but showed really good leadership throughout the game, um, offensively. But yeah, defensively, they just you know. They relied a lot on Timon Vina to 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 bail them out. They had, they gave up that one chance to um to Tabakovic where it's a super cross, um, I think from uh, Dudziak, and Tabakovic is point blank and uh, Viner does a spectacular job to make a save, but he couldn't stop uh some uh, Privy- Privyak, the uh, the Bosnian Herzegovina striker um, on 27 minutes. It's just a bit of a defensive breakdown. It's a really good play from uh, Prevoyak. Good good cross from from Riza, and, and Prevoliak gets goal number two of the season. Just before the break, it was 2-0 for Hertha. Prevoliak with... It's a bit of a nothing shot. Um, maybe Machino and Schultz should have made better intervention. Um, but his effort was spilled. The beans were spilled by by Viner and Andreas Bouchelakis, the, uh, the Greek midfielder who joined... Um, from Olympiacos in the summer he was on hand to just tap home to make it 2-0 three substitutions from Marcel Rapp in the second at half time really opened the game up for Kiel and they started to benefit Benedict Pickler scoring from a set piece on 54 minutes and then a penalty scored from Steven Skribski made it 2-2 in a matter of moments the game went back and forth as both teams traded chances Kiel had that really good period the start of the first, the start of the half, Hertha, as the game, as the half progressed, got stronger and stronger and stronger. On 88 minutes, they get a penalty initially not given by referee Florian Badstuber, and I'll talk about him a little bit later. Harris Tabakovic, Timon Viner, Tabakovic the top scorer, hat trick last match day. Tabakovic saved. What a wonderful save it at team Timon Viner. But from the penultimate, from the resulting corner, uh, Fida Arp, who hasn't played at all this season, who came on as a late second-half substitute, he fouls Benzerdi. This time it's Fabian Reza taking the penalty, and Reza haunts his former club. He scores, and it's three-two win. Goals have now been a thing of the a thing of the hurter, shall we say? That made no sense. What well, does make sense? is that they have unlocked the keys to them scoring. They changed the system a little bit, bringing Premaljaki in, um, having sort of essentially two strikers. It was more of a 4-4-2 in the way that they played. And once they sort of navigated the kill pressure early on, dynamic, aggressive, really hard to defend. Um, You know, Tvakovic didn't score, but he had some really good chances in the game. And Prevoyak <clears throat> was the benef- benefactor in many ways as a lot of the attention was on Tabakovic. And so was Reza. Riza was surprisingly just left to sort of do his own thing. And in the system that are playing with that sort of, you know, they've got the back three with the two wide players. He was afforded so much space on on many occasions. And, you know, he assists the first goal. Uh, he, he's, he just... Was given so many chances to create positive influences for um for her and those look those high quality chances seven of those were on target in the game, um, seven of their eleven so chance creation and and shot efficiency was at a premium and it it seems that they have figured it out they might have actually unlocked the uh, the the you know they may have found the the Krabby Patty's secret formula, um, because you know from a team that went goalless in their opening three games to a side that has now scored 15 goals in their last four, Um, you know, that's just just under four a game, they're now an offensive threat. Now, the defence did well to hold up against a very dynamic offensive team in in Kiel. Um, But... You know, greater tests will come. And I think St. Pauli on Saturday night at home in what should be a massive, massive attended game, you you would expect St. Pauli to bring a good, healthy amount of fans um, to pack the Olympia Stadion. And I think that's... And it's a really good test to see where hurts are because if you look at the teams they've beaten in this run of form, you know, they beat Keel away, which was a good win. They beat Braunschweig. Uh, they lost... At Magdeburg, and they gave up six in that game, but they beat Fürt. So, like that, not to discredit Fürt, Braunschweig. But if we're being honest, they're not exactly you know teams that we're expecting to be either fighting for promotion or in that top ash, es- the top half of the table. Kiel's probably the closest to that, but you know Kiel, are, as much as they've improved. They've, they've improved the dynamism and, and, and made good acquisitions during the window, the summer window they still are extremely fragile defensively and they're very prone to giving up good goal scoring opportunities, now last week they were quite unfortunate in that they gave up all those long range efforts but this was not the case, you know, the two goals they gave up, both of them were at the edge of the six yard box um, so hmm We'll see. We'll see with Kiel because Kiel of Karlsruhe, who, as we mentioned before, um, at the top of the show, <laughs> it could be a, an extraordinarily defensive breakdown. But then they are, then they've got Elversberg, and Elversberg are showing that you know they've adjusted to, to the style and, and and have made you know minor compromises that have helped them become a bit more defensively stable um, without losing the threat of you know their offensive um, proficiency, which is what they're their best. So. Two two tricky games for Kiel, uh, as we mentioned, Herta, Saint Pauli, and then they've got Schalke before the the break. And just a little side note about um, Florian Badstuber I don't I don't want to you know rip on referees because it's a it's a really difficult job, and without refs, you don't really have a game. But the feeling <coughs> was that he didn't really have control of the game, and there were on occasions where there were a bit of spot fires and tensions were sort of um, were on the verge of sort of. Escalating, uh, especially late in the second half with the game tight, um, and you had those two situations with the penalties, and then Schultz gets sent off for a second yellow, which I, I don't think anyone had an issue with. But yeah, I, I just didn't think he really commanded the game particularly well. Um, but I, I I don't begrudge him. It's hard being a referee, and yeah, just just a thought. I wonder what wonder what game he's going to interest uh, interview uh, interview what game he's going to referee this week. Just out of curiosity. Because I just think at times he didn't really, you know, control it as much. So, hmm. Our final Group 2 game brings us to not too far away from Kiel. Braunschweig. They hosted Nürnberg. Braunschweig, much like Furt, celebrating an anniversary. They had this awesome choreo uh, showcasing the history of their club. Not just in the world of football, but in hockey. They also played cricket, but they didn't have a thing for that, which was a bit of a shame as an Australian. But... In general, they've got you know proud history. They wanted to showcase it. And uh, they welcomed a Nuremberg side that has improved vastly, um, especially at home. Uh, but away from home, yeah, well, a bit up and down, shall we say. They had real issues with one player in particular in Nürnberg defensively, and that was Anthony Uja. Now, Branchweig entered this game with only three goals scored, which was the league's worst. Um, and with and Uja had one of those three goals, and and um, it, it probably didn't come as a surprise that just on the half hour, uh, Anthony Uja scores for Eintracht Braunschweig. It's a wonderful cross from Anton Zankor, Uja just too big, too strong, too good, and heads home to make it one uh, 0 Nürnberg then just turned the screws and they had this really good spell, like ten minute spell, at the end of the first half. And they were rewarded with two goals. The first one coming from Kanji Okanuki. He's been dangerous in a lot of the games they've played this season. He finally gets his reward. Goal number one. And then Tim Hanverka finds Benjamin Gola um, to make it 2-1 in the space of two minutes. And just mind numbingly bad defending from Braunschweig, especially the second situation. To let Gola um, you know, get into a great position to score what shouldn't have been really. Yeah, it was poor, but the positive thing for Braunschweig is they were much better in the second half. I thought Nürnberg were, were disappointing after halftime. They didn't really look like... They, they sort of lost control of the game. Braunschweig kept going forward. And and again, Anthony Uja um, getting the equalising goal. Kruger's ball left a lot. It was a decent ball. Um, and it was well contested um, from the Nürnberg defender. But then Uja just outworked, won the contest put the ball on goal and, and and scored to make it 2-2. And and he could have had a third moments later. There was a set-piece situation. The ball came out to him. Uh, Uja just couldn't get enough on it to get past Janis Horn, who was the last line of defense. Um, but he did leave the game with injury. Uja, he was in a massive collision with um, Christian Matenja. There was a thought of maybe that being a penalty, but it's that's a really tough one to give. Being the intent... Um, and and the cause of the collision is in the contest it, it was Matenya going for the ball he punches the ball first and then the contact happens it's not like the uh the Andre Onana one in the in the Vol, the Wolves uh Manchester United game that one's a clear penalty because he doesn't take the ball when he clearly fouls the player so that one was okay uh what was the keynote in this one um Fire, who've stuck with the back 3 sort of that uh 3-2 three two there's like a three four. it's more like a three four three i should say um but they switched to a more conventional four two three one i thought that one actually that system worked quite well for them uh in particular it gave uja a lot more opportunities uh kuga and gomez were quite good you know gomez behind the striker and kuga on the left um I didn't think Kaufman was particularly good and he was very lucky not to be sent off in this game. He kind of lost his way at half uh, just before half time and, and eventually was you know subsequently sent off uh sub- sent off substituted um, at the break for Yusuf I mean and I I'd like to see a bit more of Imeen. He had some really positive moments on the right hand side and and you know maybe we'll get to see more of him um, next weekend in Rostock. So yeah, I look Branch did some good things. They probably should have won this game. I thought they were the better team over the course of the ninety, and, and they might be a little bit disappointed. But the, you know, finding more offensive options, keep feeding Uja, and there's a recipe for potential success. But they still need to find a solution. Maybe Gomez is that solution to, to eventually be that their yeah, Emmanuel Fry, um, Nürnberg on the other hand, just yeah, they they were really poor after half time. You know, really struggled to get back into the game. Um, <coughs> and i think they were very like they were very fortunate to not to 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 secure a point to be honest they just you know weren't really up for the challenge and almost mentally shut off and and allowed Braunschweig to to take the ascendancy so we'll see they got Magdeburg on the weekend which is a very tricky fixture and then they're at St Pauli and then they're returning against Herder so three really tr- tricky games for Nürnberg but um you know so far if you take the early you know the opening seven games of the season for them i think they'd be quite happy with the fact that they're you know In a better situation, they're offensively much improved compared to last season. Uh, They scored 32 goals last season. They've already got 11. It's just defensively, can they improve over the course of time? Uh, Let's take a final break. And on the other side, we'll break down the final three games. And we're going to start at the MDCC Arena as Magdeburg hosted Paderborn. Paderborn were hopeful of making it two on the bounce when they made the journey to Magdeburg on Friday night. They had some interesting solutions in, in how they wanted to, to play and, and in terms of formation and player personnel. Antonio Grimaldi got his first start. Uh, he joined from Zabrucken in the summer. Experienced campaigner, but not someone who's played often and recently in the Bundesliga. But uh, he did actually provide them with a really good solution in the final third. Uh, and potentially, maybe an option against teams that like to play heavy press and aren't particularly strong in defensive their defensive responsibilities. Which, if we're you know we're being honest, Magdeburg is not that team. But they scored the opening goal of the game, which was probably not a surprise. Uh, the way it was shaping up early, Paderborn um, through a great pass from Felix Platter to find Grimaldi. Grimaldi gets the goal, and it's um it's one 0 for Paderborn, and with Paderborn were you know, very strong in the first half. They 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 sort sort of got their swagger back in a way. Um, they continued to press in the second half, and the goal. You know, they did a lot of good things on the ball, but off the ball, I think at times the pressing still seemed a bit disjointed. Uh, and that was probably that came to arrears on eighty-five minutes when they conceded, and and it came from you know the inability to complete the press. Ball squirts out. Baris Attic with just a sumptuous ball to substitute Luke Castanios. And Castanios had so much to do. He had Giannis Hoyer who'd just come on absolutely just wearing him like a cheap suit. But Castanios does so well. Hoot comes out and he kind of just dabs the ball past him into the back of the net. And whilst I didn't think Hoot's ability to shut the angles was particularly convincing and, you know, I... In, just allow me to indulge myself here. Um, you know, I played with a, a, a guy by the name of James Kelly, playing at the Rocks, and he he would yell at you if you if you came out for a ball and you didn't either take the ball um, or you know do something that would at least intervene in a way where the striker or the, or the player attacking the goal couldn't influence the contest. And and, and it was one of those occasions where I reckon Hoot should have either you know, made, obviously, a significant play because he kind of halts for a bit. And that's given Castaños enough of, a, of an angle to tuck the ball past him. <laughs> I don't know why it reminded me of that. But um, you know, Magdeburg could have actually won the game late. I think Castaños again had a chance just moments later... There was great interplay between Ito and, and, and Attic, and Ito's ball found Castaños at the back post, but he couldn't get it the right side of the post. Um, so the points being shared, Magdeburg will take it after the the defeat against Schalke, where, as we discussed last week, they were a lot better than the uh, the Gelsenkirchen side. Paderborn, for them, this is part of their sort of road to redemption arc. Um, you know, unbeaten in the last two games, they, they, they move out of the bottom three, which is a... It's massive positive for them. It's been a very tough start for them. You know the the, the one thing that they they've been notoriously good at is scoring goals. They've only got eight goals in their opening seven games. Um, if we're comparing, that's you know, one of the worst in the league, uh, along with V Spartan, Osnabruck, um, and Eintracht Braunschweig. We'll talk about V Uh last. It was yeah, it was a, it was a strange game. Like it was really good tactic, good tactical battle, and I think for for um, for those who enjoy. Teams that like to press, active on the ball, um, using sort of dynamic wide play. You know, it was a good game f- to watch that, and I, I really love what um, kozniok did with Obermeier and Waslia. He had those guys playing as the wide players. Lots of overlapping runs, especially with Obermeier on the right hand side. They really challenged Bell Bell in particular to to defend, and and they were able to get into some really great areas, and and that's. That's what they did really well in the first half. Second half, they they went at it again, but um, they're just not as efficient or not as effective in terms of getting high score, high quality scoring chances. So they'll be they'll be optimistic now that they can, you know, mix it with who a lot of us consider as one of the better teams in the league. They've got Schalke on Friday night, and I, I think that this could be a really good game for them to you know to to beat up on a team who's really a bit downtrodden in terms of form and, and squad morale. Uh they they you know Max Kruse is also available. He was on the bench in this game didn't play. And they might actually have a chance here. So they'll they'll feel confident that they can actually make pay dirt on a um on a Shakhtar side that's been really poor as we've mentioned. Uh then they finished the they've, they've got eintracht Braunschweig afterwards. So th- so there's a good chance for them to make some to make some pay dirt and I think if you're looking at like points optimization, they would be targeting maybe four points from six. They'll feel they're a really good chance against eintracht Brownstrike. We've, we've spoken about their um, goal-scoring issues. Um, so yeah, they'll feel really confident. And Magdeburg, on the other hand, they've got Nürnberg and Karlsruhe. They would love to take advantage of Karlsruhe when they, get, um, when they get them before the international break. Also spoken about their issues defensively early on. But, again, it could be another one of those 4-4 four, four games because Magdeburg also have been a bit uh, troublesome in the back as well. Nuremberg will be an interesting test. Uh, Nürnberg at home, uh, at their home, at the max morlock Stadion, a bit harder. Uh, they seem to play a little bit better. They're a bit more flexible. Um, and then they won't have many second halves like they did. So, yeah, look, I think it was ultimately a fair result in the end. Um, I think Paderborn had the better chances and sustained um, periods but they you know they just didn't put Magdeborg away and good teams find a way and Magdeborg is a really good team so yeah we'll see how that those those two get on this coming week let's head to the Fritz Vulturestadion Kaiserslautern welcomed Hansa Rostock heading into this game Kaiserslautern had gone unbeaten in the last four games three wins out of that last four and they were feeling really positive Hanser on the other hand it the honeymoon's a bit over shall we say um, after starting the season quite well heading into this one you know it, it's been a bit up and down shall we say um you know three defeats uh and two wins in the last five they also have a goal scoring issue much like they did last season uh, and the defending wasn't much better uh, just three minutes into the game uh, the opening goal came ball scored it out to Tobias Reichel, and he just had a lash at it it was very much and home but in the end deceived everyone including Marcus Kolker and uh, a goal to nil uh, the second goal for Kaiserslautern uh, came shortly after wonderful ball into the box and Kevin Kraus heading home it was not particularly well defended it has to be said great header from Kraus um, to get on the end of the Pukash corner. Hansa did get back into the game. Uh, they sort of woke up after 25 minutes and realised that the game was very much getting away from them. Uh, Junior Bramado, the Brazilian who got his first start for Rostock uh, on Sunday. Uh, surprisingly good work to go in the end. The ball came to the box. Uh, Pereira's... Initial effort was sort of blocked, but it squirted to Schumacher, who whipped it back to Brumado, and he lashed at it and and scored past Julian Kral for an excellent goal. It was really even, and the, I think both coaches secretly might have not liked the fact how open the game was. But one thing was certain: is that Kaiserslautern in particular, uh, they played with a lot more freedom. And you know, we had Chris McCarthy on last week, and we we spoke about how the that Schuster had reverted to a bit more of a pragmatic style. He was hoping that they would open it up or, you know, the faucet was leaking um, goal-scoring opportunities in a positive way. Uh, it was very much like um, like a, a fountain because they had a lot of chances on goal. They had, um, I think it was 22 in the end. 11 of those shots were on target. And the third goal was a very much welcome one. It was Ragnar Ake again on 83 minutes. Six goals this season. So if you're playing at home... He is one goal away from what he managed all of last season. Uh, it's clear that the Kaiserslautern fans love the fact that they've got another number nine, someone who is an absolute goal-scoring threat. And um, yeah, but um, look, they were irresistible in the opening 20 minutes. I think that was the best passage of play uh, and control they've had for, for, the, for the season. Uh, they were a little. They they, they gave Rostock an, an outlet and a, and a way back in, and it was quite interesting how he sort of you know changed it up in the second half. He had Ritter playing as a as sort of as a as a right winger in the first half, and it worked really well. Gets into great areas, and then at halftime he takes Reichel off, who had been pretty good in the game. Um, brings on Redondo, brings Ritter in, into that number eight role alongside Nihus. They they remained stable in midfield and, and Redondo just gave them another level and um, you know Schumacher and, and Rosbach sort of on that left side of the defending area uh, it gave them a lot of trouble and the goal came from that wing uh, the third goal being <clears throat> really well well taken and and um, yeah four wins in their last five they're one of the form teams in the division. Um, and they, you know, sit a point adrift from from Dusseldorf, uh, yeah, from Dusseldorf at the top of the table. Only goal difference separates them out of the three teams tied on thirteen. They have conceded the most goals, um, but second most goals scored between those three teams being Hamburg and St Pauli. For Rostock, <coughs> defensively they were okay. Uh, they they seem very hell bent on the Rosbach David, Vanderwerf trio. Uh, but I thought in midfield they got it wrong uh, this was a first start for Sebastian Vassiliadis along with uh, Yannick Bachmann and uh, Dennis Dressel and yeah I, I just yeah it was hard to to really put a pen on, on what they were doing well uh, especially defensively like going forward they were fine like I'm a, I'm a big fan of Dressel and what he does and you know he's as a very stable number 6 who can, can play as an 8 can get forward very dangerous from range uh, but yeah vasily it didn't was okay Bachman wasn't really great and I think in the in sort of the way of them trying to be a bit more defensive in the way you know having guys like, who like you probably play a little bit deeper in midfield like vasilyadas like Bachman they limited especially as they were figuring it out they limited their opportunities going forward and and it made it actually really difficult for them um, in the early phases, to to gain control, and it wasn't until the two 0 that they started to to figure it out. They were much better in the second half um, with the changes bringing in uh, Singh and Ingleson. Uh They didn't start Purga as well, so yeah. Look, they're still trying to find. It seems like they're trying to rediscover what worked for them a bit um, defensively. You know, they conceded some soft goals, but they they gave up a lot of chances. That's the that's the that's the probably worrying thing. Uh, set pieces, they were susceptible. Um, and and transition, they really didn't sink well midfield defence. Um, and it made it really hard for them. So, look, they got Braunschweig and Fiat, Teams that are very much in the mix around them. Um, that's they, The Braunschweig game is really big for them. Uh, home game, you know, the two those two sides played on the final match day of the season. Rostock did win that game. And they'll be expecting to get back to winning ways. Whereas, uh, Kaiserslautner on the road at Osnabrück. Which should be an interesting game. I think that's, um, you know, Osnabruck will feel a bit more confident at home. It'll be a good test for Kaiserslautern and see what kind of solutions Dirk Schuster comes up with. And our final game brings us to the Brita Arena, VfV Spartan against Elversberg. These two teams are very familiar with themselves, each other, from last season when they played in the Dritter Liga. And, um, yeah, this game got out of hand. Um, it was an interesting encounter. Uh, two, goal, two goals to do in the end for Elversberg. The first goal came from a penalty when uh, Martin Anger fouled Fabian Schnellbacher. The referee, Dr. Arne Arnink, had it gave a lot of time before making the decision, but he made the right decision. Uh, it was a clear penalty. It became a clear penalty uh, when you have a look at it. Uh, Tor Jakobsen who who was unreal in this game alongside um, Shahin, he scores very coolly and then the 2-0 comes late in the second half, uh, Arna Sika who is a substitute, also finding fellow substitute, Wahad Fahir who's the top scorer of the season, he's now got three goals for the campaign so Elvisberg have now won three on the bounce they're defending a lot better, we, we've, we've spoken over the last couple of weeks uh, they've been Osnab- So they've beaten two of their fellow promoted sides in Osnabrück and now Wiesbaden. Uh That was to be at Hamburg last week. But defensively, much better. And a lot of that is attributed to the implementation of bringing in Frederick Yackel alongside uh, Kevin Conrad. So if you look at the stats, some of the key stats on and off the ball for we 88% pass accuracy. He won 80% of his duels. That's <laughs> on the ground and aerial combine eight clearances so the number eight is quite frequent but he was great um he's been he's been a really good addition since he joined from RB Leipzig on loan we saw a lot of him last season at Bielefeld and I thought he was one of their better defenders um, and look he's someone who's going to benefit a lot from playing time and and I think the Elversberg system under under Steffen is a lot more beneficial than what they were playing in Bielefeld and we're actually seeing in the early stages of this this partnership, one that's working, he's obviously really good at you know, getting the ball out of danger, but he's articulate on the ball and and really, you know, gives them a chance at transition play and, and, and being a bit more attacking. And, you know, even though they had less of the ball, <clears throat> they were able to create better goal scoring opportunities and the XG is representative of that. They were essentially two two XG better. Than um than V Spartan throughout this game and on the V Sparden side of things strange I thought they were kind of odd they were some of their better attacking players were left on the bench they, you know they brought on Pratyan at half time uh, they just yeah you know, they they they, they, were, they were lacking sort of that cutting edge and um, ruthlessness up top and I know Pratyan's been a bit wasteful this season um, but I think they're a better lot when they um, they've got Froze. <laughs> Um, and, and Pratain up top you know they had Kovacevic but he was yanked at half time and, and you know so was Kade who they brought in from, from Dresden and he's not someone I particularly rated for you know when he was at Dresden and even at Union it just, yeah, I don't know he's a bit of a mystery player and it's just hard to tell what he's actually good at but the subs worked a lot better they had um, Hyunju Lee as well came on um, as well as Kartic and gave them better elements Um, going forward. They were much better early on in the second half, but then it petered out again and, you know, the the inability to create opportunities was not ideal. They really kind of gave the game away. And, um, but that's a credit to, look, it's a credit to 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 Elvisberg, who were fantastic off the ball and and really limited to Viesbaden's opportunities And, and that's Probably well noted after um, you know the opening fifteen minutes, where Wiesbaden were six to two in shots, and then post that um, you know it was let you know, leveled out at four apiece. So you know Elversberg got it going, and they got the second goal at at a crucial time where where Wiesbaden were trying to establish some dominance. And yeah, look, if we're looking at like the three promoted sides as a whole, you know Elversberg currently in eighth. Spartan have now dropped to 14th after losing 3 of their last 4 and Osnabrück are still bottom finally breaking the uh, the losing run of form to four consecutive defeats and you have to say we if we look at what we'd predicted at the start of the season and I know it's match day 7 but we're looking at probably Elversberg were the team the stronger of the teams not just in terms of maybe personnel but also in like style of play and how it could adapt and after some red herring performances including that 5-0 defeat to Dusseldorf that sort of was the wake-up call and uh, if you sort of take away that game in particular you know they've only conceded eight goals which would be in and amongst the likes of Hanover, Hamburg, um, even Wiesbaden who you know their biggest problem has been scoring goals but you can see that there's there's a really good team at the end and um Look, you know, it's going to be quite fascinating to see how these teams get on. Uh, we've mentioned uh, Wiesbaden on the road at Hanover and Elvesburg. Uh, welcome, Gretaford, to the Kaiser Linda. That's it for our match day 7 review. Sorry it's a solo effort, but, uh, you know, sometimes that's how the uh, the cards break. Um, we'll be back next week, and I do have a guest this next week to discuss all of the action from match day 8. I hope you have a fantastic week. <laughs> Enjoy your weekend of Spider-Bundesliga football and we'll see you next time when the Spider-Bundesliga returns.